Well, we started last week looking at this topic of guidance and we saw that God's word, the Bible, is going to be the most important thing that we have when it comes to being guided by God. If we want to know what God is like, if we want to know how it is that God wants us to live, then we should listen carefully to what his word says. Uh, Last week we finished up by looking at the idea of buying a car. What does the Bible tell me about that? What guidance does it offer for me on that topic? Well, today the topic that we're going to look at here at the beginning and at the end of the talk is marriage. Does God want me to marry? Who should I marry? Is there some special person out there for me? Uh, What should I look for in a husband and wife? We're going to try and look at those questions. So it's in that vein that I want to start with 12 Biblical principles for finding a wife. Now these all come directly from the Bible. So gentlemen, listen very carefully for those of you who are single anyway. uh, Listen very carefully. Here's some biblical principles for finding a wife. They're going to appear up on the screen here. First, find an attractive prisoner of war, bring her home, shave her head, clip her nails, give her some new clothes and then she's yours. Says that Deuteronomy chapter 21. Uh, another option is find a man with seven daughters, impress him by watering his flock. That was how Moses found his wife. Uh, purchase a piece of property and get a woman thrown in as part of the deal. That's what happens in the book of Ruth. Um, here's one from the book of Judges. Go to a party and hide and when the women come out and dance, grab one and carry her off to be your wife. Genesis uh, says, uh, get God to create you one while you're asleep, but please note, gents, this will cost you a rib if you decide to choose that path. Um, agree to work for a man for seven years in exchange for the hand of his daughter in marriage. Get tricked by the man into marrying the wrong woman. Work for another seven years for the woman that you wanted to marry in the first place. That's right, 14 years work in order to be able to get the right wife. That's from Genesis, that was Jacob's approach. Um, David's approach was to cut off 204 skins of the future enemies of your, of the, of the enemies of your future father-in-law and you'll get a wife out of that. Um, then there's the one where you can just try winning a beauty contest, contest, which is what happens in the book of Esther. Um, you could do what Samson did, which was say to your parents, I've seen a woman, get her for me. Um, if your parents question the decision, simply say, get her for me, she is the one for me. Okay? Um, you can follow all of these up. I've got the Bible references for you, okay? Uh, then there's another one. If you like a girl, when you're looking down on her in the bath, kill her husband and take her to be your wife. That was what King David did. Number 11. You're writing all of these down? Number 11. Wait for your brother to die and take his widow to be your wife. That's not just a good idea. It's actually the law. That's what it says in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, and there's examples of that happening in Ruth. Um, then the twelfth approach is the approach is also of King Solomon. Don't be picky, make up for quality with quantity. Uh, here's a man who had 300 wives and 900 concubines. Now in case you haven't guessed, these are not biblical principles for finding a wife. Just because the Bible says something happened doesn't mean that that's what I should do. The Bible tells me about a whole lot of mistakes that people made and many of those Bible passages are those mistakes. So yes, we need to take God's guidance and God's word seriously, but we also need to make sure that we're reading it properly 
It's not just a matter of grabbing any verse you like and heading off in that direction. We need to make sure that we're reading the Bible properly. So one of the most important questions to ask when you're reading the Bible, wherever you are in the Bible, is where is the Bible heading? Now, what I mean by that is God has a plan and a purpose and it's unfolding in the pages of the Bible. So I need to ask myself, what is that overall message of the Bible? See, there are plenty of people who do look at the Bible like that, as though it's just some grab bag of verses, you dip in wherever you like, pull a verse out, and if it means something to you, well, that's lovely. But that's not how the Bible's supposed to be read. See, the Bible is ultimately a book about one thing, really. The Bible is a book about Jesus. The whole message of the Bible is ultimately bound up with Jesus coming. Uh, In fact, this is what Jesus said to the scribes and the Pharisees of his day, to the religious leaders who had the Old Testament scriptures themselves. He said to them, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. The Old Testament points us to Jesus. And all the gospel writers knew that when Jesus came, all of the promises that God had made, they have found their fulfilment in Jesus. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken to the glory of God. To understand the things that we see in the Bible, we need to know where the Bible's heading. We need to know what the story of the Bible is. The the Bible is a book about Jesus. But it's not just the Bible that's heading towards Jesus. The whole world, we're told, is heading toward Jesus. The whole of human history is heading that way. The Bible says that this world is moving toward a goal that God has in mind, a purpose that God has in mind for this creation. And that purpose is that Jesus will be acknowledged as the king of all things. The goal of this whole world is that every person ought to bow their knee to Jesus as king. might not seem like that when you turn the news on at night. It might seem as though this world's just kind of wallowing in chaos and not heading in any particular direction. I mean, we see what's happening with floods around the world or the things that are happening in Syria with all the people, the refugees desperately trying to get out. It can kind of look like the world's just going nowhere. But the Bible says the world's headed towards this goal. This is how Paul describes it to the Ephesians. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to put into effect when the times have reached their fulfilment. And what is God's will? To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one headship, of Christ. That's God's purpose for this world, that everything is going to be brought under the headship of Jesus. Paul says a similar thing in Philippians. Therefore God exalted him, that is Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the goal toward which this world is moving. That people will acknowledge that Jesus is the one who rules over things. 
Now again, you may be thinking to yourself, well, what's that got to do with guidance? What's that got to do with my decisions about marriage? Well, can I say absolutely everything? Before I can ask any questions about decisions that I have to make in my life, I need to be clear about where my life is heading. And I need to realise that the purpose of my life is ultimately going to be bound up in God's purpose for this world. I can't separate my life from where the rest of this world is heading. God's overall purpose. I don't know whether whether or not you've heard of um, the Hutt River Province. Anyone, anyone heard of this? Hutt River Province in Western Australia. A man by the name of Leonard Cassley, uh, that's him on the, on the, uh, on the picture there with his wife, uh, he prefers to be called His Royal Highness Prince Leonard of Hutt. Um, in 1970, he and a few thousand hectares of land formally seceded from Australia. So he used to live in Australia, but now He's in fact created his own country, or he believes he's created his own country, right there in the middle of Western Australia. You can see a tiny little thing, and he's called it Hutt River Province. Now, how stupid would it be to think that you can have a country that's going to be completely separate from Australia? I mean, he's right there in the middle of Australia, isn't he? I mean, you can't really have a country... Does he, does he seriously believe that the future of Hutt River Province is going to be completely divorced from everything else that's happening in Australia? Does he think that economic issues in Australia won't be the same economic issues that he has to face? I mean, he's living in Australia. His life, his future, is bound up with Australia's future. There's no escaping it, no matter how much he pretends. And we have to make sure that we don't make the same mistake. We need to recognise that our future is bound up with what God plans and purposes for this world. The direction of our lives is going to be tightly connected to the direction that God has. You can't escape it. Some of the biggest mistakes that people make when it comes to this issue of guidance is that they make the mistake of thinking that it's actually all about them. Like Prince Leonard of Hutt. We keep thinking that we're at the centre of things and that God's plans need to revolve around me. But things don't revolve around me or you. Things revolve around Jesus. He's the centre of things. It's about his glory. It's about people bowing to him and acknowledging that he is king and saviour. Now, you may not feel 100% comfortable with that idea, but it's the fact, it's the truth. We tend to think that God should be there for our sake, for our benefit, that I'll, I'll, I'll call on God if I've got an issue that I want him to try and sort out for me, or I've got some problem that needs to be fixed. We kind of wonder whether or not God should just be there for our best interests. Well, in a strange way, God is there for our best interests. God has done what is best for us by calling us to be a part of the kingdom of the son that he loves. That's what it says in Colossians. But God, God's plan for us is going to be bound up with God's plan for this world. God's purpose for us is bound up with God's purpose for this world. Probably the verse that sums up most clearly what God's purpose for your life is, is this one that comes from Romans. 
And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he predestined, listen carefully, to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. There's a verse that tells you what your purpose is in life. Your purpose is to be conformed to the image of Jesus, that you would share his attitudes and his values, that you would want to become more like your king, that you'd want to be conformed to his image. How we live, the decisions that we make in life, hinge around God's ultimate plan for this world, for this this universe. Okay, so let me get to the practical issue of marriage. Let's see what the Bible has to say about uh, this question. I know that for many of you, may be a moot point. You may already be married, may not be planning on getting married. Let's just have a look at what the Bible says anyway. Probably one of the best places to go would be Genesis, the early chapters of Genesis, and see what it is that God purposed in, in marriage in the first place with Adam and Eve. But I'm going to go to another place. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is a passage where the writer, Paul, tries to set out clearly uh, a number of issues about marriage. It's a long passage, but let me read it for you because it kind of reflects what I've been saying, that it's really all about Jesus, not just about you. I'd like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of the world, how he can please his wife and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of the world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. See, do you see what Paul's saying in there? Even when it comes to this question of marriage, it's not just about you. It's actually about living in undivided devotion to the Lord. Where to serve him, where to live for Jesus. So what's going to be the best way to do that? Well, Paul says it may be as a married person or it may be as a single person. What you've got to do is decide what's going to be the best way for you to live this undivided devotion to the Lord. Make your decisions about marriage based on where this world is heading. Paul recognises that the question, should I marry or not? Well, that's one you have to figure out for yourself. He can't answer that question for you. And nor does God attempt to answer that question for you. He's not saying marriage is wrong and he's not saying everybody should get married. He's saying that there's a wonderful opportunity to be able to serve God, maybe as a married person, maybe as a single person. But the ultimate thing is, it's about living in undivided devotion to Jesus. Now the big question for a whole lot of people is, who should I marry? And the Bible does have some guidance on that. The Bible says that you shouldn't marry a close blood relative. You can't marry your sister. You can't marry someone who's already married. And the Bible advises against marrying someone who's not a follower of Jesus. For the simple reason that it's going to be very hard to be devoted to serving Jesus if you're married to someone who doesn't share that interest with you, who doesn't think that that's the right thing to be doing. But God's guidance goes further than that. 
God's word actually has some pretty important things to say about marriage. If you decide that marriage is going to be the best way for you to serve men, the Bible says that you should be looking for a beautiful woman. Did you know that? Well, let me show you what it says anyway. 1 Peter, he says this to the to, to women. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as braided hair or the wearing of gold jewellery and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. Ladies... You need to be looking for a lover. This is what Paul says to the Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body but feeds it and cares for it just as Christ does the church. I don't think there's any doubt that we end up being far more influenced in our views about marriage by the movie industry in this world than we are by what the Bible says. So when it comes to issues like romance and relationships and marriage, we tend to listen to what Hollywood says rather than listen to what the Bible says. In fact, I think we're probably far more influenced by movies with Julia Roberts and Richard Gere than we are by any Bible passages. But we need to think carefully about what the Bible says because very often it is going to be in conflict with what we hear from Hollywood. We need to be committed to what God says. We need to be looking for a partner who can encourage us to be more godly. We need to be looking for a partner who's going to encourage, who we can encourage in godliness. And we can need to look for someone with whom we can show our undivided devotion to Jesus. As I said, we're going to look at this topic of guidance one more time in a couple of weeks' time. But I hope you can see from this that the big picture ought to shape our small decisions in our lives. I think that was something that we can learn something from poor old Prince Leonard of Hutt. We need to make sure that when it comes to us making our decisions that we recognise the wider purpose that God has at work in this world. So when it comes to making career decisions or work decisions or, or marriage decisions, keep remembering the ultimate plan that God has. We need to make sure our lifestyle and relationship choices, knowing where it is that our world is heading. If you have your trust in Jesus then you've got to keep remembering that big picture. The day will come when every knee will bow before Jesus. And until then, as people who trust in Jesus, we need to be working to be conformed to the image of Jesus, to sharing his attitudes and his values.